You're listening to the Sermon Podcast for the Peak Church, located in Apex, North Carolina. Our church is striving to welcome all who are feeling disconnected from God. And so our hope is that over the next several minutes, you will connect with the God that we are talking about, and you'll resonate deeply with the life that this God wants for you. We hope you enjoy. The scripture passage for today is from the book of Matthew, chapter 7, verses 7 through 11. Ask, and you will receive. Search, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. Whoever seeks finds. And to everyone who knocks, the door is opened. Who among you will give your children a stone when they ask for bread? Or give them a snake when they ask for fish? If you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father give good things to those who ask him? This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Oh God, you can move the mountains. You walked on the seas. You alone have conquered death. And now, I need a miracle in me. Well, good morning again, friends, and welcome back for what is week three in our brand new sermon series here at the Peak entitled Miraculous, Miraculous. This is your first time here with us today, either in person or online. Uh, For the last several weeks, we've been engaging in the very complex, somewhat complicated discussion around divine intervention. What types of expectations, what can I anticipate from God Anytime and every time I make requests for healing, protection, guidance, or just straight up help. Those of you who've made these petitions to God before, you've made these requests of God before, you know actually how tricky expectations can be. If they're too narrow and too specific, if you're fixated right over here, well, God has to answer that request in this way, you might miss out on how God may show up that way. Furthermore, if your expectations are too vague, if they're too broad, you might interpret the nothingness as maybe God just didn't show up or care at all. So how do we strike that balance? How do we strike the balance between faith and understanding, between believing and seeing? And so today we're going to move to yet another type of request that we make of God. This is another uh, petition and a prayer we ask of God. Uh, And we do so because we feel like from Scripture we've been encouraged to do so, right? Passages uh, that say things like, anything you pray for in my name will be granted unto you. Or passages like the Psalms that say that God delights in giving us the desires of our hearts. Yes, today we are talking about what expectations can we have of God whenever we ask God to provide. 
what kind of things can I anticipate from God? When I ask God to meet this need or grant this desire or bring this thing that I really want to my life. And again, this conversation is an interesting one because I think in one way, uh, it's something that we uh, are encouraged to do so, but the how, the where, the when, the why God goes about meeting those things becomes a lot more complicated. And so maybe for you, this is drudging up all of those times where you prayed for a job or you prayed for a a spouse, a partner, or maybe the time you prayed for a child, or maybe it was a time you prayed for a hope or a dream, or a future. What can we expect God to do in terms of provision? Let's dive in. If you have your Bibles with you and you want to follow along here today, or if you're watching this online you want to uh, follow along with us, go ahead and hit pause and uh, grab one and turn to, uh, back to Matthew chapter 7, which is the scripture passage we're going to be camped out in here today. Another reason why we dare to make these types of prayers are because also of the scripture passage for today. Here in Matthew chapter 7, I would argue we're not only given permission to ask God for stuff, we're encouraged to do so. What does Jesus say? Jesus says, ask, you'll receive, search, and you will find, knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives, whoever seeks, And to everyone who knocks, the door is open to you. This scripture seems pretty straightforward. It seems pretty simple. In fact, I would argue it doesn't sound too dissimilar from something you might hear at a prosperity gospel church. Any of you been to one of those places before? You've been to one of those communities before? It's a fascinating experience stepping into those churches because they believe, based off of passages like these, that anything you want Anything you need, if you just pray enough, if you just believe enough, if you just have enough faith, those things, those requests will be granted unto you. In fact, if you find yourself at any one point without those things, that's not a God issue. That's a you issue. And so you can see where they kind of get that foundation from. You can see where they get that justification from. If you read this passage today, sort of just straight off the surface, very simplistically, very literally, you can arrive at that conclusion. Which is why, over the course of these last several weeks, one of the things that we've been harping is one of the values that we practice here at the Peak, which is to make sure whenever you are studying Scripture, you are doing so contextually, contextually. And so for the last couple of weeks, I've been giving you tips. I've been giving you some tools that you can take home with you and you can use at home. So whenever you're in a Bible study or you're in a small group or you're studying the Bible on your own, you can make better sense of the context in which these scriptures are written so that you can get at more at what Jesus was trying to say or what God was trying to articulate or God was trying to say to us. And so today, I'm going to give you another one. I'm going to give you another tip if you're trying to learn how to read and study the Bible in context, and that is this. Whenever you're reading a particular passage of scripture... Make sure you also read what happens right before the story and right after the story. Why? Because this is going to help you understand the larger point that Jesus is making. For example, here in our passage for today, uh, right before uh, what Paul just read, we see Jesus say this. Jesus says, Boop! Yeah. Wow! Well done. Well done, Carrie. That was really good. 
put the coffee down. We're working today. Here we go. (laughs) Immediately before the passage, Jesus says this. Don't give holy things to dogs. Don't throw your pearls in front of pigs. They will stomp on the pearls, then they'll turn around, and then they'll attack you. What is Jesus saying? Here in this moment, Jesus is saying, in very layman's terms, don't give the things that are most important to you in your life. Don't entrust the most important things in your life to unreliable people, unreliable sources. Don't put them in those types of hands. Why? Because they'll take advantage of them. They'll invalidate them. They'll discard them. They'll destroy them, etc. So Jesus says this right before our passage today. Fast forward to the end. This is what Jesus says right after our passage for today. Jesus says this. Go in through the narrow gate. The gate that leads to destruction is broad and the road is wide. So many people enter through it. But the gate that leads to life is narrow. The road is difficult. And so few people find it. What irks me so much about uh, the way in which some preachers use this particular passage is oftentimes uh, some preachers will use this to describe, they think uh, Jesus is talking about heaven and hell. He's talking about the afterlife. But if you go back and reread it for yourself, which I encourage you to do so, Jesus is not talking about heaven or hell at all. And by the way, uh, Jesus talks about heaven and hell a whole lot less than the average American preacher, I might add. But I digress. I digress. Instead, if you actually read it in context, you'll see that he's not talking about some future time. He's talking about right now. He's saying in this life, in this life you're living right now. It saddens me. I almost imagine Jesus is saying this with some solemnness in his voice, some sadness in his voice. He's saying it's so hard to watch that there's so many people who choose the wide gate. They choose the popular option. They do what everyone else is doing. And what happens? It leads to destruction. It leads to unhappiness. It leads to unhealthiness. He said, but man, I'm... I just wish they'd trust me. If I could show them the way, if they'd follow me the way, it's narrow. Yes, it's more difficult, but it will lead to the life that they want, the life that you need, the life we're all searching for. And so now that you know what happens right after our passage, and right before and right after our passage, let's put it all together, okay? Again, read in just a very simplistic sort of surface-level sort of way, This passage that Paula read seems incredibly transactional. But when you put it all together, watch how your understanding of that moment changes. Now, it seems like it's a part of a larger point Jesus is making. Jesus is saying, please, don't put the most important things in your life, the things that matter the most to you, the people that matter the most to you, please don't place those in unreliable hands. Instead, Gosh, I wish you'd come to me. I wish you'd seek me. I wish you'd trust me to deliver those things to you, even though most people won't. Even though it's not the popular thing. Even though there's not going to be a whole lot of other people around you doing the same thing. Jesus is just stating a fact. I don't think he's being cynical here. I think he's just stating a fact that his ways are not always popular. Right? That's not shocking. Uh, that sometimes his path is hard. And if we're going to wait on his provision, him to provide our needs or our wants, Jesus is saying, it ain't going to be easy. And so naturally, the next question we ask is, okay, why? Why? Why are not more people, and I would inc- include myself in that, why do I sometimes have such a hard time asking God to provide the thing that I need and then relying upon God to provide 
the thing that I've asked for? Why is it so hard for us as human beings to entrust those things to God? Reason number one. The first reason why uh, it's so hard for us as human beings to take the narrow gate that Jesus talks about and trust him, rely upon him to provide the things that we need and want in life is because it requires self-control. The first thing it will require of you is that if ever you decide to put your needs and your wants in God's hands, it requires impulse control. Titus chapter 1, verse 8. I love this. The author writes, says, be a lover of good deeds, but also be self-controlled and disciplined in all that you do. Peter talks about this in his epistles. Paul talks about this when he names the different fruits of the Spirit. Self-control is central to the Christian life. Why? Because we're not very good at it. Human beings, when left to their own devices, if I want something, I want it now. I'm going to meet that need now. And that's honestly what the way in which it works for us as human beings. When we need something, we want something, we desire something in life, we do one of three things. We either, number one, meet the need ourselves. We say, forget that, bump that. Like, I can I get anything I want. I have access to so many different things. I can fix this problem all by myself. By the way, this is the spiritual danger of living in the Amazon era. Isn't it? Isn't it? This is the spiritual danger of living in a time like this. But if you don't do that, another thing we would do as humans is if we don't meet the need ourselves, go fix it for ourselves, we either abandon the need altogether, we give up hope, we stop thinking about it, stop wanting it, stop uh, asking for it. Or number three, sometimes the worst one, we settle for less than what God ultimately intended for us. I'll give you an example. My favorite example of this is dating. So if you are dating, uh, you're in the midst of that uh, particular career of your romantic life. Um, some of us have come through that, and you're like, thank God, I don't want to ever go back. Um, when you're in this sort of dating phase, again, some of our folks are in that uh, here at our church, and sometimes, on occasion, uh, those folks come to their pastor to seek advice and counsel uh, in their dating life. And I would argue that probably the most popular advice, the most frequently recited, uh, recited advice from me to them is something along the lines of, it's okay and you should be picky. That's my most common advice that I give to folks at this particular sphere of their sort of life. And I roll out for them what I call my relationship road tool. This is my relationship road tool, okay? It looks like this. Uh, and what I say is the road that we're all on, the journey we're all on, uh, there's two ditches on both sides. There's two ditches on both sides. Yes, it is possible for you to be too picky. It is too picky. And I roll that out for them. One ditch you don't want to fall into is too picky. This is idolizing uh, your partner or your future partner. This is uh, beginning to sort of confuse all of your needs with expectations. Put differently, it's when you begin to sort of grade whether or not this person is a good fit for you based off of whether or not they meet all of your personal preferences in a human being. And guess what? All the married people in this room who've been married longer than two years can tell you that don't exist nowhere. Amen? <laughs> Amen? 9.45, they said it enthusiastically, so I feel like there's some arguments in the car coming to church earlier. Say it again, preacher. Say it loud so you can hear it. Come on now. And so I make the argument. I always share with our folks that, yes, there is such thing as being too picky. But I actually think more often than not, at least in my experience, more people are suffering from the other ditch. And the other ditch is not idolizing. It's settling. 
It is choosing what's convenient rather than exercising control. It is choosing what's known and familiar to you rather than what you actually need in another person. Or it's confusing Mr. slash Miss Correct with Mr. slash Miss Convenient. In full transparency, when I think about my own life and I think about my own journey uh, to marrying my wife, it's actually quite surprising to me that I didn't fall into this particular trap during my own journey. Reason for which is because I went to a private Christian college. If you've not been to a private Christian college, uh, the goal actually is not uh, when you go there to get a degree, it's to get a spouse. Ring by spring, baby. Ring by spring. That's the mantra, okay? Come on now. And so uh, by the time I reached my senior year, the second semester of my senior year, I lived with eight other guys in this house, and all but two of us were engaged to be married, me and my buddy Brad. And so uh, they would always, as a courtesy, um, invite us out when they'd go out with their fiancés to go out to eat and whatnot. And eventually, always, the waiter or a waitress would just sort of like, put us on the same bill. And eventually, I just stopped fighting it. I was like, that's great. Okay, honey, your turn. Your turn. Put the card in there. Here we go. Let's go. Get it up. Settle it up. But it's amazing to me when I think about that particular season of my life because, truth be told, I was miserable. And I could have, and quite frankly, I probably should have succumbed to the comparison game. So just looking around like what everyone else has got. The loneliness. That's the loneliest probably I've ever been in my entire life. And just thirdly, this sort of like fear, this ever pervasive fear. This thing that I want, that I, God, that I, you know, it's of my heart's desire. Maybe it's not ever gonna come true. But eventually for me, what I decided uh, is the same thing you have to decide for your own life. Do you want the fast thing or do you want the right thing? Do you want the thing that you can get now? Or do you th want to wait and see if the right thing comes along? First reason why it's so hard for us to trust God's provisions because it requires self-control. The other reason why uh, people uh, more commonly, more popularly, don't entrust their needs and their wants and their heart's desires to God is because in addition to self-control, it also requires selflessness. It requires you to be someone who now uh, you have to think about what you pray about. You have to think about the requests that you make of God. You have to think critically about the petitions you make God's direction. Put simply, you have to now no longer assume that what's best for me is best for the whole world around me. I'll give you an example. As a pastor, I'll let you little, in a little bit of secret. Um, the types of prayer requests uh, that we get on a daily basis sometimes are really funny. And I'll just pick on my friends and family. I'll pick on my friends and family. My friends and family, uh, I feel like the moment they knew I was a uh, pastor, they always used this line of like, well, you, you got the like direct line to the creator. And so I'm going to, while I got you, that's always like, that's the sign. Like, it's always like when I'm about to leave. While I got you. Oh, famous last words. While I got you. And so the types of things that I have been asked to pray for, we'll grab coffee sometime and we'll share. It's a lot of fun. But my favorite, my favorite, my favorite, favorite, favorite is when I am asked to pray for the weather. 
Okay? Some of you are shaking your heads and acting like you ain't never done it before. I'll go first. I for sure, on more than one occasion, have suspended my own theology in attempts to sort of uh, preserve a vacation that we had planned or a sporting event we had planned. You laugh, but you've done the same daggum thing. <laughs> and so when people ask that of me, I understand where it's coming from. I've made the same request to God. But as I've sat with that request longer... I've begun to realize a couple of really interesting implications of that. So for example, real story. My daughter is right here in the sanctuary. Ren, when's your birthday? And that's what? Next Sunday, right? My daughter turns nine next Sunday, okay? And so we have a party planned uh, for Ren. We're really excited about it. She's going to have all of her friends over. If later this week I look on Weather Channel and I see there's a storm coming directly to our house, and I pray, and I say to God, God, um, hey, I'd be with all the widows and the orphans and the wars and all the things. <laughs> but while I got you, <laughs> got a big birthday party coming up. You remember Ren, Ren Elizabeth Meyer, nine years old. Big Harry Potter fan, by the way. Um, not the witchcraft part, just like the fun part. Okay, anyway, so Lord, if you could... <laughs> So, Lord, I know you got a lot going on. I know you got a lot of things you're sort of juggling at the current moment, but if you could just, you know, add in your mercy, Lord, and your provision, Lord, just sort of send it around. Just sort of send like a, like just a, a bend it, like Beckham sort of just situation, just kind of whip it like a little, just around the house. What's so interesting about that prayer is that when I pray that prayer, the only person I'm thinking of is who? Me. I'm thinking of my family. I'm thinking of my home. I'm not thinking of the farmer who is just south of me who's actually been praying the exact opposite prayer for weeks, who's desperate for the rain, whose fields are desperate for the rain because he's actually been going through a drought, been struggling financially and economically to put a meal on his kid's table, and he's not been able to provide for uh, the family, or the, sorry, the community in which he serves. The other people I'm not thinking about are the other family just north of me, also desperately trying to celebrate a nine-year-old birthday party. Lord Jesus, we just pray you just send it. Send it towards the Smith home. They're not praying as hard as we are, and uh, I, haven't seen them, I haven't seen them in church lately. And so, Lord, just, you know, that's a tough ask, but just kind of, you know, again, send it. Just sort of send it right around, right their direction, please, Lord. What do you think it's like for God to hear those prayers? What do you think it's like to be God and to hear his children assume preferential treatment or favoritism? Let's call it what it is for some kids and not others. I think this is actually why Jesus includes what he says in verse 12. So right after, he does the whole, like, ask, seek, knock. He adds a caveat. Did you catch this? He adds a caveat. Verse 12. However, in everything, treat people the same way you want them to treat you, for this is the law in the prophets, summed up in a very simple statement. In other words, yes, pray. Yes, ask. But the Christian now has to ask another question, which is, before you do so, 
do I want what's best just for me? Or do I actually want what's best for all of us? All God's children. Is this actually one of the implications of what it means to love my neighbor? So that's the second reason why uh, it's not as popular to ask God for provision, to ask God to provide the need, or the need or the want or the desire you have for your life. And the third and final one I want to mention is this. The other reason why not, there's not more people doing it this way is because in addition to self-control and selflessness, the other thing that will happen is you will absolutely be changed. You'll be changed. If you have a need or a desire in your life and you dare to go to God who to meet that need, you will be changed in the process. Why? Because God is like this ultimate multitasker. I can testify from my own life that anytime and every anytime and everywhere I've always asked God for something, we never take the direct flight to what I've asked for. We take the one with 17 connections. You know what I'm talking about? It's almost as if God is like, okay, Kyle, totally hear that. I'll, I'll, I'll play along and I'll hear that for a bit. Let's, let's do that. Let's sort of move to that. But along the way, I want to teach you some stuff. I want to show you some stuff. And I want to use this experience to liberate you and transform you into something, someone new. One of the prayers that I've had uh, towards God uh, deals with a couple of family members in my life who are not people of faith. And for years, started years ago, I would pray for this very thing. I'd pray for God to provide. I'd be like, God, please, like these two family members that I love so much, please provide the proof that they need or just the signs that they need. Provide something that makes them see you and know you. And I, I just want them to know you and be in a relationship with you. I've prayed those prayers for years. And it wasn't until recently that I've actually begun to see fruit to those prayers. These two particular family members have reached out to me with questions. They are tuning into some of these sermons. They are beginning to sense a part of their spirituality being born, spirituality being born, that they'd never had before. Now, the journey from back then to now has taken them probably on their own journey. It's also taken me on quite a journey at the same time. If anyone in this room knows what that experience is like, you've prayed for someone in your life, you've prayed for someone to come to faith, or you've prayed for someone to change, or to, uh, to experience some new sort of revival in their life, if you pray that prayer, sometimes along the way, God will hear that, but also use that experience to change you and reveal, I would add, quite unfortunate learnings to you about yourself. For example, uh, through this experience, I've learned that uh, I have a tendency sometimes when I want an outcome for someone else, uh, I will do things for them, I'll say things to them, but I didn't realize how much ulterior motive I will bake into those actions and the things that I say. Anybody else done that before? Me? Just me? Don't think so. Don't think so. I also learned through that experience that sometimes uh, I become, I'm in these places in my spiritual life where I become spiritually insecure. And the reason why I, I want this other person to believe like me is because I need someone else to believe like me to affirm and validate my own beliefs. 
That's not a very fun thing to learn about yourself. And thirdly, I've also learned that when it comes down to it, there have been several times in my life where I downright have simply been unwilling to trust God with the lives of other people that I care about. I'm learning this as a father now. Proverbs talks about this. It says that the life of a Christian is one who is going through these, these different paths of their Christian life, and they're always heeding wisdom. They're heeding instruction. They're staying open to teaching and learning. The foolish person is the one who says, I don't care about none of that. I just want what I want. And so you two have to make a decision. You two, in your own life, have to make a decision of what type of life do you want. Do you want a wide life or a deep one? Do you want a wide life, a life measured by how many things you got? Or do you want a life where when you look back on it, you realize that you changed that you're new, that you're fundamentally different than the person who first started, and you're actually way better off than where you would have been otherwise. What's more important to you? I'll close here. It's not lost on me that any time you preach a sermon like this, and you talk about God's provision and God providing our heart's desires, our needs and our wants, it's not lost on me that there are some of you here today who have been waiting a long time. Let's just be real, real talk. Some of us here today, we've made requests of God. We've begged, we've pleaded. It's not because we didn't ask but you've shown up time in and time again. You've sat in these chairs. You've gone to other churches. You've, made, you've sat at altar rails and you've begged God, please, I need this. Please, don't you see me? Please, doesn't this matter to you? You've begged and you've pleaded. It's not lost on me that there's some of you here today who have shown up time and time again asking for bread and you ain't got nothing to show for it but a stone. You ain't got nothing to show for it but empty hands. So here's what I want to do. Uh, Katie, uh, ushers, I'm going to invite you guys to go ahead and come on up. Uh, and uh, the ushers are going to pass around baskets full of stones that look like this. Look like this. So as the basket comes to you, take a rock. Feel free to just take the first one you see. Uh, don't ruffle through it like the way my children do Halloween candy. <laughs> just grab one right off the top. Pass it along. If you're getting a basket in the back, you're going to do it across and then up. If you guys are here in the front, you're going to pass to the person on the side of you and then pass it backward. By the way, if you're online, you can participate in this as well. This is the beauty of virtual church. Hit pause, run outside in your backyard, grab one of these. Uh, preferably not from the zone that your dog uses. Uh, you probably want a clean one for this exercise. Uh, but go ahead and uh, pass the baskets, snag a stone. And here's what I want you to do with it. I want you to place it in the palm of your hand. 
and you don't need to say it out loud, but what was the first thing that came to mind when I mentioned to you that there are some of us who have begged, pleaded for bread, and you got nothing but a stone? What was the first thing in your life that came to mind? And friends, what today is, is today is an invitation. You don't have to take it. But today is an invitation to take the stone with you today and to take it as a reminder of the promise that we, that has been made to us. That one day, and we don't know when, and we don't know where, and we don't know how, one day, and we don't know if it's in this life or in the next, but the promise is that one day, every single stone in all of your hands, one day, will turn to bread. Not by our strength, not by our might, not by our willpower, not even by our faith, but of the faith of the one who can perform the miraculous. Today is an invitation to take this stone with you as a reminder the hope that we cling to. Listen, some of you, maybe you're looking back at me and you're like, nah, no, absolutely not. You don't understand. You don't understand what I've asked for. You don't understand what I've been waiting on. You don't know the types of things that I've put before the altar of God, begging him to deliver an answer. And I get that. And here's what I'll offer to you. That if what you need is while you're waiting, someone to walk with you while you wait, someone to, to sit with you, to wait with you while we look forward to that moment. If you need someone to yell with you, to scream with you, to bang on the gates of heaven until finally that petition, that request is made, then I'll wait with you. We, as your church, will wait with you. Because that's why we exist. Probably the single greatest gift that the church offers to the world is it's willing to be the people who sit with you in all of your anger and rawness until the day comes when you can finally sing these words and mean them. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Thank you for listening to The Peak Podcast. Make sure you subscribe wherever podcasts can be found. For more information on how to get connected with our church, please visit us at thepeakchurch.org.